0: Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please turn to Titus chapter 1 and stand for the reading of God's word. Titus 1 verses 5 through 9. Qualifications for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery debout, or insubordination. For an overseer, as, steward, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospital, a lover of God, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradicted it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We're grateful, Lord, that we get to be in your presence amongst your people. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, well done. Happy birthday, Julie. Okay, um, Abigail, kudos for using the word ergo in announcements. (laughs) So, okay, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well. If you're new here, I'm excited that you're here. Welcome. Um, We have, last week, we started going through the book of Titus, so if you haven't come to Church at the Well before, um, we like to preach through books of the Bible, just verse by verse. So it's really simple. If you want to know where we're going to be at next week, it's the next few verses. And we'll just kind of work our way through until we've finished a book and then we move on to a new one. Um, as I was looking at this, I'm going to be really like honest. It's really weird to preach about eldership as an elder. Okay, it, there's, there's moments in it when it can feel like it could be self-serving or... Um, it can be one of those things where it's like, hey, look at me and all of this is happening. But the reality is it's an extremely important topic for the church. Um, the purpose of us going through Titus has been this idea, and I talked about this last week, of what is the blueprint of the church supposed to look like? What is the foundation? And we talked about last week that the foundation is revolving around the gospel. It has to be gospel-centered. And if we abandon the gospel, then we might as well not call ourselves a church any longer. When we look at this idea of eldership and we look at how the church is led and how it's supposed to be structured and and what's supposed to happen, there's very clear instruction from the scriptures on what the church should look like and who should be leading it. And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. The other thing that I think is important for us to understand is right now, especially, I mean, you know, I've had people say, man, it feels like right now the church is under this extreme attack, like maybe more than it's ever been. And I'm like, no, I remember, I remember attacks even growing up. Like there was contradictions constantly Um, in the church or people in the church trying to figure out how does the church maintain its witness and also attempt to be relevant within the culture that it finds itself. And so I remember like as a kid, there were like what we called worship wars. I don't, some of you that are older, you might remember this where, I mean, and if you're younger, you're going to be like, what is that? So Churches were began to argue and debate over like what type of music should be sung inside of a church service. And it was a big deal. I mean it was it was crazy big deal when I was a kid, right? There was this moment in the like early 80s, late 90s, so ancient, right? When like church Church growth in America, it was this big push, like, we need more people coming to church, and all of the methods that were being used were an attempt to attract individuals to church who didn't normally go. In fact, I, uh, there's people on record who have said, you know, they, they planted churches, or they began to change kind of the vision of their church, and they literally said things like, we are going to be a church that unchurched people wanna come to or we are going to be a church that are going to attract this specific type of person. We are going to be in a, you know, youth groups exploded. If you don't, we don't have youth groups here, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of foreign in some ways to New England, especially in the city of Boston. But I grew up in a time when youth groups were massive, right, I mean, there was, I think my youth group was like close to 700 students in this massive room and it felt like its own church. And basically what youth group was, was an attempt by churches to say, hey, come have fun at church, right? And, and we're gonna do all of these activities and it's just gonna be geared toward like high schoolers or whatever. We had these major camps that were, were, were coming and you would go and have this, this amazing experience and this mountaintop high. There was a lot of energy and effort put into getting more people to church. Statistically, what happened? Nothing. Like, when we look at the stats of churchgoers between now and back before all of this movement began, it is the, basically the exact same in church attendance. All of this effort, all of this energy ended up producing not much. Yes, people came to Christ. Yes, it was maybe more contextualized to our culture, but the reality was There wasn't a huge impact in seeing more people come to Jesus in the country as a result of some of the changes that were being made, and on top of it, we saw a lot of churches begin to compromise who they were supposed to be and what they were supposed to do. And so I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that still happens, right? One of the things that, as a Christ follower, that we have to understand, if you're a member of a church somewhere, or you're a regular attender, culture is constantly attempting to change the church into what it wants it to be. And we feel that pressure. And a lot of times, churches, leaders, will buy into that. Um, we see that. It's, you'll, you'll see churches who define themselves by things like politics, right? We see it all the time. These last few elections have been it's been horrifying watching churches take stance on, on who you should vote for or what that should look like. We've seen churches take stances on cultural distinctives. Um, ultimately, we see a lot of churches today who aren't defined by Jesus but defined by something else that the, cultural has, that the culture has dictated. We have churches that'll say we're all about social justice. Once again, not, nothing wrong with social justice, but is that what the church is supposed to be about? So one of the things that I think is important, and I think the reason that Paul, in his letter to Titus, um, begins this way, he starts with the Gospel, and the Gospel's throughout everything that he's going to talk about, and then he's going to move into leadership of a church is extremely important because what we don't want is individuals stepping up into leadership of a church that may have a a different agenda or will lead a church astray and it's the job of the church to make sure that that what is happening within the grounds of the church are actually biblical I have never, I've never felt like church should be comfortable. I, I don't read scripture and think, wow, what? This, this really makes me comfortable. The gospel is insulting in some ways. It calls me a dirty, rotten sinner. I don't like that. The gospel attempts to tell me how I'm supposed to live if I'm truly going to live as a disciple of Jesus. I don't necessarily like that. The gospel dictates how church is supposed to function and, and what it's supposed to look like, and, and I don't always love that. It's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult thing for a church to maintain its effectiveness as a true church of Jesus and find the balance between that and reaching its, the people that it finds itself in. I think as we go through this, one of the things that I would encourage you with is, yes, we're going to be talking about leadership and what that looks like, but even if you're not called as an elder, you are called to live the life of a disciple, and that is defined here. What are the compromises that are going on in your life? Are there things that you go, man, I just, I want the church to do this, and when we look at scripture, you, that's really not how the church is supposed to be defined. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints, right? For what? The work of the gospel. And the work of the gospel entails a whole lot of different things, but it's sad to think that we could actually become an entity that people desire to come to and their lives never change in the power of Jesus. It's probably one of the greatest fears that I've had. Is we need to make sure that our metric of how we're doing as a body isn't based on the number of people that are showing up the amount of programs that we have for different types of people, that ultimately it's grounded in who Jesus is and that we're teaching correctly. And then it's the job of the church, which I am also a member of, to take that teaching and apply it outside these walls. Church isn't supposed to be comfortable I don't want anybody walking in here going, oh man, that was really comfortable. I want you to feel loved, I want you to feel welcome. But we also should feel convicted. I don't think church, I don't think the things with church should be, or or the methods that we use should be dictated by looking like a business. Or the principles of sociology. or attempting to make ourselves look like culture so that we're appealing to individuals. In fact, what's fascinating about the gospel is that it's saying in Christ, we are constantly attempting to be sanctified, which means we're being set apart. We shouldn't look like the world. Where we live in the world, our job is to participate in God's salvation plan within the world, but we're not supposed to look like the world. And oftentimes, I think we have a tendency to want to take some liberties, maybe, to say, where's the balance between making sure that we're relevant and making sure that we're doctrinally correct? All of that's hard. Like, I I don't have all of those answers. But I will say this, as, as an elder, I think what we're going to see here is that it's the job of the elders if we're going to lean one way or another to make sure that we're leaning into the the true teachings of Scripture. And so that's kind of where we're headed here. I know it's a long introduction, but like I said, I I don't want you to think this isn't relevant. So if you haven't turned in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, I'm starting at verse 5. This is what it says. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So I I gave this kind of understanding as we looked at the beginning of Titus last week, where Titus has been working with Paul and they've been planting churches. We know that Paul has been commissioned by Jesus himself to reach the Gentiles. And his method of reaching the Gentiles was to plant churches. That's why we're a church planting church. We want to see more churches planted. Right, The the best way to reach people is in the context of new church planting. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. So we don't wanna just grow huge, we wanna plant churches, because that's the way it looks in scripture. So Paul's planting churches, they've gone to Crete at some point, Paul's left Crete and he's left Titus there, basically the way that it sounds like, to fix up the mess, (laughs) okay? So, Here's the thing, left to our own kind of desires and vices and so on and so forth, we will make the church become something that it's not supposed to be. I I have that ability. I'll be like, this is what Kevin's passionate about, and so we got a group of people, let's create an army to fulfill that passion. It happens all the time. What... I think that it sounds like what's happening in Crete is as churches have been planted, maybe some of those tendencies have started to seep in. Well, this church is now known for this, and this church is now known for this, and I'm not saying they've completely abandoned the gospel, but what I am saying is that when an individual comes into that local church body or whatever it looks like, it's not the gospel that's being presented as the most important. It's a social construct or it's, a, it's a, a theme or whatever it is, right? I hate branding. I do, I hate it for a church. I know it's necessary in our current culture, but what we need to constantly be reminded of is that it's not about the individual local body of Church at the Well and its brand. It's about the gospel of Jesus. That's, that's how it should be defined. And so Paul has left Titus in Crete. This is a huge job. And he says that he's left him there for a very specific reason. Put, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So, okay, we've got some messes. We need to clean these up. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It is, in this instance, Titus's job given to him by Paul to appoint the leaders of these church plants that are going on. That is a rough job. Now, Church at the Well belongs to two networks of church plants, right? So we have Acts 29 and we have Send Network, and those two networks are an attempt to do some of what is being talked about here, right? So one of the things that we recommend is if somebody says, hey, I wanna plant a church, we would say, okay, you need to go through a process. And we, the first thing that we ask people to do is go through what we call assessment. Now, assessments are hard. The first assessment that Christy and I went through, honestly, was extremely brutal. But the more I've thought about it, the more I think, well, it probably should be. Basically, we, we opened up our lives to individuals that we did not know on every single level and said, what do you see? So I I don't know, I think I ended up writing close to over 100 pages for them. I know Christy wrote papers. We then had interviews where they asked us questions. They would dig into things like finances and parenthood and doctrine and all of these things. And what this group of individuals is hoping to do is basically look at us and say, yes, we feel as as an independent, non-biased group of individuals that you are called to plant. And the process works, right? It, it's difficult. I mean, I, that's kind of what I picture Titus is doing here. I don't know if he's, he's probably got some other people that he trusts and he's like, we're gonna start assessing people in these churches and figure out who has been, who has the qualifications and the giftedness to lead each one of these churches. So we can kind of understand that's what's happening. I'm glad I'm not in charge of assessments. I get the privilege at times to be on assessment teams, but I'm with growth groups of people asking questions. But it, what a job. I mean, it would be difficult to say, hey, um, I mean, I can. Obviously, Titus wasn't perfect. So it'd be interesting to go like, well, how many people did he pick that he shouldn't have, right? We don't have that story. What were the failures? But we have this, this clear indication of what is supposed to happen. Titus, these churches are being planted. They need to be led. We need qualified elders to lead them. The rest of this passage to me verses six through, and I don't typically do this, six through nine to me are kind of divided up into three areas. And these three areas, yes, are intended to be or talk about the qualifications of elders, but this isn't the most specific passage on those qualifications. I mean, if you're curious about that and you want to read it, then you can go to 1 Timothy chapter three, and it'll actually give you very specific qualifications of elders, very specific qualifications of deacons, and what that looks like some ways, this almost seems repetitive. He's written that letter to Timothy, but I would imagine that Titus at some point has read that letter. And in this one, it seems, yes, there's some specifics, but it seems a little bit more generic. And I think this is what makes this, I think, almost more relevant. Like, I live in these, we call these letters from Paul the pastoral epistles. These are things that as a pastor, as an elder, I pour over, check my heart. I, I put myself under others to make sure that they're not seeing anything that would be a disqualifying factor in my life. You know, I, I have people that oversee me, and we spend a lot of time in these passages. Does that mean that it's irrelevant for the church body? No. Everyone's called to be an ambassador of Christ. You may never be called, the men in here, to lead a church, but you have been called to very specific things, all of you. So how we handle those is very important. Starting at verse six, it says in this first section, I would say is basically, First Timothy talks about this idea that if, if, if an individual, if a man is not lead, the spiritual leader of his household and he's not doing it well, then how can he possibly have responsibility over the church? And I think that's fair, right? I, in my experience okay i believe that i have watched more pastor elders bishops overseers whatever you want to call them all these names are somewhat simultaneous used in exchange have failed and become disqualified more over family issues than anything else you know what hits the what hits the tabloids right is all the scandals but There's pastors being disqualified unfortunately on a semi-regular basis that we hear about because they're not able to lead or display what's presented in this section. and That's hard. It says if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Okay. There's some fancy words here, and this, we want to make sure that we're understanding this. It begins with, if anyone is above reproach. (laughs) Let me explain what this is not. This does not say if anyone is sinless or perfect, because I'm out. And so is everybody else who has any type of qualification whatsoever to lead anything. We know that. Every week, what do I say? We're dirty, rotten sinners living in a sin-cursed world saved by the grace of Jesus, right? We're, we're constantly being sanctified. So this isn't talking about perfection. I, this is tough. Like There were ages of churches where the congregations or the pastors themselves or whatever they called themselves were so adamant that they were supposed to be perfect and they displayed themselves as such. And I think, wow, what a horrible teaching moment. Right? Like, above reproach basically just means, look, it's an individual who is, yes, a human being, yes, struggling, but loves Jesus and displays in, in every way humanly possible by the grace of God what that walk looks like. That includes Repentance. There's been moments where I've been leading this church now for 10 years where I've had to come and say, this is something I'm having to repent over. Because we need leaders who are willing to display what true repentance looks like. I'm the farthest thing from perfect. The question is, is, are there things that when you look at the church leader, you go, wow, I have no, there's some really questionable things in this person's life, especially when it revolves around their family. Like, my family is far from perfect, okay? Like, they'll all tell you that. And Lacey's like, no, I'm perfect. No, you're not. <laughs> um, they're far from perfect. I remember, so I was pastoring in California at a decent sized church and there was this children's program that was going on called Awana on Wednesday nights. And I don't remember how old Lacey was, but she would have been young, maybe, how old were you? Six, seven? And this woman who was teaching her class came to my wife, Christy, afterwards and she's like, you know, I had some trouble with Lacey today And I just want you to know that I expect way more from our pastor's kids. Now, if you know Christy, (laughs) it's not the way to go. She handled it well and came and told me that I had a meeting with this woman and talked about her expectations. that's not how that works, right? That's not what's intended here. What's intended here is your job as a congregation, the world's job as it looks at elders, including myself, is to say, is Kevin or is this elder, in our context, is Kevin, is Matt leading his family well? Is Jesus the center? How is that impacting their kids? Do we see evidence of impact, gospel impact on the family? Do we see a focus that that's important? Or do I sit back and go, whoa, you're not above reproach because it's clear based on the behavior of your family and how you lead them, that how you lead the church looks different than how you lead your family. Is there a consistency? Or is there an ability to blame and say, I call shenanigans, <laughs> right? The husband of one wife. I'm not, this, isn't, this isn't a lesson on um, pure qualifications of elders, but we do need to, under, you know, there's a couple of questions that this brings up. Um, questions like, can a divorced individual be an elder then? Can, um, can an individual who's single be an elder? And I'm not gonna answer those questions for you today because we'll just, that's for another sermon. But I know it generates certain things. In this specific passage, the best translation we have in the Greek is, is this person a one woman man? Is he dedicated to his wife? fully or does he have a tendency to kind of flitter off we were at a conference one time and these two pastors um, this wasn't my experience i was i was told this story but these two pastors from a different denomination different church were were at this conference and um, during the evening they had hired some prostitutes to come to their room pastors And one of my friends saw it and confronted them on it afterwards. And what they said was, we work so hard during the week when we leave, we believe that we get to do what we want. Obviously the heart was saying, this is not a one woman man. That's a problem. Um, We've seen throughout the ages, right? Like the world waits for this specific one to occur. Because if anything will discredit a church leader, it's sexual issues, right? And it makes the the tabloids and everything blows up and it gets really ugly. And what is the impact on the church as a whole? Bad stuff, right? I would say this delves into things like that we've seen in the past, how how these individuals view um, their tendencies toward intimacy, maybe with others. We've seen issues where children have been involved. The goal here for every church leader is to say, I'm a married individual and I'm a one-woman man. Does that mean that there's never temptation? Of course not. Living in a sin-cursed world. His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. This is a tough one. I know pastors who are very holy and lead their families well and their children have yet not yet come to Christ. And based on what we believe in doctrine, it's possible that they might not. So what do you do with that? One of the things that I think is important for us to remember is that these are qualifications for the elder himself, not necessarily qualifications on the kids. <laughs> There was one of the things that I told this woman when she came after us is I said, Look, my my daughter who is seven years old is still learning and growing, and she's not the one that's supposed to hold to these qualifications. I am. This is a judgment on me. How am I leading my family? Am I attempting in every way possible to raise my children in a way that they would hear the gospel on a regular basis and understand that Jesus is the most important thing for life? Since we don't have the ability to save people, only Jesus does. Some of, some of the the most holy pastors that I know consistently display the love of Jesus to their children, begging the Lord to bring them to faith and have to go through that struggle of hardship. But in looking at the elder, he's been holy in what he's attempted to do through his family. Meaning this idea of above reproach, that's what kind of classifies all of this in the family. If if you came over to my house and you've heard me preach the gospel here and then you come to my house and we're not preaching the gospel, that should be questionable to you. If I'm not addressing discipline within my family, that should be an issue for you. If I'm not speaking truth and love within the context of my family, you should be concerned because it's impossible to lead the church if the man can't lead his family well. It's important, so important. The next section, it's basically, so we're looking at you know, competency within the marriage, competency within the family, now we're looking with competency with biblical character. For an overseer is God's steward, God's steward. This church is not mine. It's ministries don't belong to me. It's this church belongs to Jesus Christ. I am an under shepherd of him. I am to steward as an elder. Your elders are to steward the blessings and difficulties in ministry of Jesus, well. As soon as it looks like ownership, it's over. We don't own a church. You, the church is the people. We do everything that we can to equip the saints, but. the the job of an elder, the job of a church leader is to understand that the church belongs to Jesus, therefore, he's the one that dictates the marching orders. Not me. You know, the elders shouldn't be sitting back and going, man, what are we gonna do with this church? We've already been told. Right? Right? We don't have to discover it. We just have to obey it. And we have to lead people in it. Um, Must be, for an overseer of God's steward, and must be above reproach, which they mention again. It's reputation. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. Arrogance is difficult when you're a leader. There's a big difference between being arrogant and being strong. There's a difference between being arrogant and being confident. And the difference is this it's a condition of the heart. I'm, I am an individual who is confident in who I am in Jesus. And my confidence goes to the point where I say, I know that I belong to Jesus, and I know that what scripture says, I know who I am as a dirty, rotten sinner, and I know I have a long ways to go. A lot of times we can find arrogance based on what an individual boasts in. Arrogance gets displayed in ways of, in, in, the, in the church leadership, by maybe talking about how impactful a church is in a community and making that the main focus. It's the idea of going, and I've said this before, God, you're so lucky to have me because look what I'm doing for you. That is arrogance. It's, it's believing that you're more important than you are. But I also want to flip this a little bit because there's also a thing called false humility and you don't want anyone in the church to not believe that, they're worthy, that they were never worthy enough to be saved, but they are saved in Christ, which means every person has value. And there's a balance there. Arrogance, arrogance takes people down quickly. I, I think in, in the, the realm of rock star pastors, which we're hopefully coming out of, all right, I'm, I'm praying that that's happening because it hasn't worked. You know, where you have the ability to listen to anybody you want as often as you want from any location in the world that you want. The, the media elevates, or individuals, the church elevates certain individuals up to say, here, this is the rock star that we follow this week, right? How many books have you written? How credible are you based on how many people are listening to your podcasts? All of these things have, been, and inherently aren't necessarily wrong, but they can breed arrogance. And we see that happen all of the time. Quick-tempered, you guys know quick-tempered people? If you can't think of anybody, it might be you. Somebody may have thought of you. Quick-tempered means I go from zero to 100 like that. Anger, right? Anger in itself isn't a sin, it's an emotion. Jesus got angry and we know he didn't sin. In fact, some of us need to get more angry. Some of us suppress anger and shouldn't. Some of us should display more holy anger than we do. I should be much more angry in my sin. I don't hate my sin enough. It should make me angry because it makes God angry. Some of us see unholy things happening and we push them aside instead of getting angry when we should. But quick-tempered means that we're not in control of our anger. It doesn't mean that we're sinning necessarily in it, it just means that this is an individual who their response to everything is anger. It doesn't matter what happens, they immediately go to anger. Why do you not want a a leader who is (laughs) quick-tempered? Those people are hard to follow. And oftentimes, they'll use their quick-tempered nature to influence individuals poorly. Meaning people begin to serve out of fear instead of a love for Jesus. <laughs> That's not good. We're to fear the Lord in a holy way. Scripture talks about that. But you're not supposed to fear the people that are working and serving alongside of you. Quick-tempered is no good. Um, Think of a boss that you worked for that was quick-tempered. It's not pleasant. And if that's what's being displayed to individuals as a church leader, it's very difficult to not believe that that's going to get passed on to the church. not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Drunkard's easy as far as like able to detect, right? Uh, if you see me drunk all the time, that's a problem. If you see me drunk at all, that's a problem. <laughs> Scripture says drink and don't get drunk, right? The, the issue here is we have you know that, to me this isn't a difficult one you don't want somebody who to lead a church who is looking for vices that are going to impact the way that they can lead because it screws up their head right so this could involve alcohol drugs anything that impairs you know straight thinking Violent, (laughs) Um, I don't know what this would look like in a church. Anybody been hit by a pastor? I hope not. But violent doesn't have to just be outward. I think it can be, um, I don't know how best to describe this one. I I guess you should never fear for your safety next to a leader. (laughs) Actually, you shouldn't fear for your safety in front of any cursed Christ follower. But we also shouldn't be individuals who are touting violence. Um, this is just me, okay? Like, I, there's no judgment here at all. I have never carried a gun, okay? I don't, this isn't a gun law issue here. I just know that I never want to shoot anybody. I know that. I don't think my heart could take it. I would be a terrible military man because in the pinch, when I had to pull the trigger, I'm not saying I couldn't, but I'm saying I would be destroyed. It's not in me. Everybody makes fun of me because I don't even like to fish, <laughs> right? I, this is, like, I, I remember as a kid, I caught a fish and every time I cried. <laughs> so I don't fish because I don't wanna catch something and watch it die slowly. And once again, there's no judgment here. This is just me, okay? That's my heart. I struggle going to movies where I see violence. I I remember when Hunger Games came out, right? And people had read this and I went to the movies and I saw the first one and I'm just crying the whole time because all I saw, everybody's like, "Dad, that was so good and I'm like, I just saw kids killing kids. That breaks my heart. Um, So I'm the the opposite, I guess, of this one, maybe to an extreme, but I know myself, okay? Um, But we shouldn't tout violence. When violence is displayed for whatever reason, the church should mourn that, all right? War exists, but nobody wins in war. We live in a sin-cursed world, we know it happens. Evil has to be fought against, we know that. But we shouldn't be people who court or desire violence, and especially don't want a church leader who does. Greedy for gain. Fame, money, Power, reputation, all of those things. If as a leader, as an elder, elders are called to make sure that you're not greedy for gain, that your motivation is never those things. If you're going to write the book, why are you writing it? There's a heart check here. If you're going to make extra money, why? <laughs> if you have influence, how's it being used? Is it, a, is it a hunger for these things, a greed for these things? I mean, these are hard. Paul, Paul had influence. He's still influencing people. But was, he, was that what his focus was? Is that, was, he, was he greedy for it? The answer is no. When you see a leader, an elder of a church, who it's about them, and they just, you sense it. It's a show. I'm tired of the show. <laughs> I remember... I remember hearing a past, you know, pastors were doing things like driving motorcycles up on stage. I saw a pastor once jump out of an airplane and parachute in. Theme music being played as the pastor's walking up. Like, what? It should never be about the leader. If you, at any moment, obviously I'm gonna fail at times, but if there's ever anybody on this platform who is an elder that is clearly representing themselves more than the gospel, then they shouldn't be on this platform ever again. Because that's not what it's about. It says, but hospitable. I remember in seminary, people said, your house has to be your sanctuary. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? What does that mean? How do you practice hospitable if you don't let anybody come over? Hospitable, meaning you're gracious and, and entertaining people and having people over and your things are their things. A lover of good instead of evil. What's celebrated? Is it good by our standard or good by scripture standard? Self-controlled, not flying off the handle. I'm an emotional guy, I am. And the older I'm getting, the more I'm crying, the more I feel. I hear music now, and I'm like, (laughs) ooh. And daughters are getting to the age where someday they might get married, and I heard a song the other day about a dad giving his daughter away, and I lost it. (laughs) Just lost it. Self-controlled means that the Holy Spirit is using the leader to be wise enough to make sure that they're not emotionally driven consistently. Now, emotions are important. Emotions motivate us. Jesus is emotional. He cried. He showed anger. He laughed. But if self-controlled, the self-control is understanding those emotions and making sure that you're in control of your emotions, they're not in control of you. Upright, since I can walk on two feet, we're good? No. (laughs) Upright, Um, yeah, vertical, vertical spiritually. Holy, this is a hard one. I'm not holy outside of Jesus. I don't have holiness built into me. In fact, I oppose it with everything, every ounce of my humanity. But Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, and the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer, we have the ability to represent holiness. Holiness isn't just the way that we do. Sometimes holiness is what we don't do. Sometimes holiness is representing what our true repentant heart looks like. Sometimes holiness is being real, really real, instead of hiding. Holiness. And disciplined. When the word discipline is given, everybody conjures something different. I've just learned this. Right? So discipline for you, based on your experience, looks discipline for somebody else. Parental discipline looks different. Everything looks different, depending on what you've experienced. What this is specific, and, and how you discipline yourself is very much dictated by how you experienced discipline when you were a child, Okay, I get that. I understand, like, all of that. Scriptural discipline, biblical discipline is saying I'm not giving myself over to something constantly other than Jesus himself. So I'm disciplined enough to say it's about Jesus and everything, and I'm disciplined enough to say I'm not going to create idols in my life that overcome my relationship with Jesus. Okay? Um, There's lines here, and I'll, I figured, I try to work these things out, right? Like I don't, like if you look at like sinful nature, I don't believe that that elders of a church should display a lack of discipline in anything, and when they do, it should be, hey, I struggle with this, right? So like I've worked with some pastors or know some pastors who are extremely overweight. They have an eating problem. They're not overweight because of a medical issue. Okay, it's different. They're overweight because they are undisciplined in what they eat. Food has become an idol. I also know pastors who spend all of their time in the gym. They're completely ripped out, right? Which, okay, like if that's your vice, I guess that's a healthy vice, but it can also become an idol because the pastor can end up looking at himself in the mirror more than he's looking at Jesus. Do you follow? So there's balance here, right? There's no such thing as pure balance in one's life until Jesus comes back, but there is balance. You can take what's good and be undisciplined in that, right? One more example. If an elder whose job is to study and to teach only studies and never does anything, I would say that's not good discipline. Elders should be hard workers. The elders also have to be disciplined enough to say, I have to raise people up to do work so I don't neglect my responsibilities in in Christ to the church. There's balances here, right? Last section. Competence in the gospel. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Qualification of an elder is to make sure that the teaching that's going on is biblical and the stand is biblical. Period, end of story. That means that Because this word is constantly challenged and lifestyle and culture constantly fight against living this way, that is the elder's job to speak out against that. This is not popular anymore. Boston is notorious for not only changing things like elders, right? I mean, but it's notorious for actually having church, pr- churches, people, things that claim to be church, adopt cultural norms that are antithetical to scripture and be proud of it. And then there's congregation members who attend churches that put pressure on their elders to make them, to, to try to get their church to go that direction. And all I can tell you is that if you ever sit <laughs> underneath in church an elder who is willing to compromise scripture for anything, leave. Call him out. I, I tell, you know, one of the reasons we read scripture every single Sunday and I ask, the, you know, it's popular nowadays to throw scripture on the screen. I don't do that intentionally. Why? Because I want your Bibles open. Like, I want, you should be testing what I'm saying. It is not, it is, it is, as an elder of a church, my responsibility to teach you correctly, but it is the church's job to make sure that their elders are doing what they're supposed to do. That's why there's qualifications here. When an elder of a church begins to compromise the truth of scripture, they are no longer even an elder of a church. Because the definition of an elder is an individual who's going to uphold the church in this way. In every way possible, the elders of a church should be focused more on making sure that the church looks like scripture than anything else. And I will tell you, we have made some difficult decisions to forego other things so that we can do the best that we possibly can to make sure that we're running straight. It's why Church at the Well is so simplistic. We, I mean theoretically, we show up at church on Sunday and we ask you to get discipled in a small group of some kind. Yeah, there's other things that we do but that's the most important. When the gospel isn't the center, leave. Next week, we're gonna talk about like what happens when these things go astray, but I am just telling you, you need to be, wherever you're from, whatever you do, as a Christ follower, as an individual who's seeking Jesus, if you come across a church who is constantly making exceptions to what scripture says, it is not a godly church. It's it's an opinion church. You don't want my opinions. Sometimes my opinions are right, and sometimes they aren't as as a as a pastor as an elder my job isn't to give you my opinions my job is to give you scripture as much as it may hurt as much as you may not like it as much as i may not like it scripture tells us that we are to live and be certain things when culture fights against that is the job of the church to say no And if you, are, if you are attending a church or, or <laughs> heaven forbid, I ever get to a place where I stop saying no, remove me. I'm no longer qualified. Of all of the qualifications, this is the one that scripture tells elders they will be held accountable to the most. I, it's one of the reasons, I, there's, there's, there's things here that we, ha- we can't take lightly. As, a, as an elder of a church, as a pastor, I realize that I'm actually being held accountable to these things. If you're not an elder, you're not. You're held accountable to things. I, there's a different kind of a motivation to say I, we boldly need to stay within the confines of Scripture and the gospel because that's, you, you know, I could lead a church that decides it's gonna go a different direction that I'm leading, and then in that, in that moment, it's time for me to leave. Because I'm gonna be held accountable for it. I know, like, talking about these things is hard. It's hard on me, it's hard on the body, it's difficult to understand. I don't know why... The Lord has placed eldership this way. I know that there are kind of three things that I see over like the understanding of, of, of doctrine in, in Scripture when it comes to elders, that there's a plurality that the elder should be local, the elder has to be male. That's not popular. I know, some of you I just ticked off. But that's what it says. My job isn't necessarily always, I don't feel like I have to defend God. As a steward, I don't defend the master, I just proclaim him. He can defend himself. I, I want you to process through this. Like, I guess this is where I'm at with this because this is a, such a strange sermon, I know. Evaluate your church. Are you sitting under an individual that meets these qualifications? And I pray that you are, and I'm sure. But if you're not, it's time to go. If you're here and you happen to be an elder of a church, Take these things seriously because you're being held accountable to them. If you're here and you've ever, which is coming, Church of the Well needs more elders. If you're here and you've ever desired to be an elder of a church, here's your start. As, a, as an individual who is here maybe and like this is so new to you, and maybe you don't know Jesus, and therefore, this just is so foreign, I would encourage you, the place that you need to start is not diving into qualifications of elders and whether you agree or disagree with them. The place you need to dive into first is the person of Jesus. Because the motivation behind this is him anyway. So if you don't know him, you can't understand his motivation. So what you need to do is say, man, I really need to know Jesus. You can do that today, you can ask questions, right? You can come talk to me if you want to, or Pastor Matt, but you don't need to. You can turn to the person next to you and say, do you know Jesus, and if they say yes, say, can we get some coffee and have a conversation? I have questions. (laughs) Lastly, for the church, I would say this. Yes, these are qualifications of elders, but so many of these pass over to congregation members. I mean, you could read this list theoretically. If you're, if you're married, are you leading your family well? As the spiritual leader of your household, men, is it happening? Are you taking that responsibility seriously? Scripture says you're gonna be held responsible for that. Do you find some of these things in your personality? Are you arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain? Is that your motivation? Because those are antithetical to the gospel. Those aren't gospel motivations. So even in, as, as I say I spend a lot of time in these making sure and, and begging the Lord to forgive me when I blow it and, and, and repenting and, and making sure that my heart isn't going one of these directions so the best of my ability, by His grace, because I believe anybody's capable of anything, you do the same thing. How, how would you stand up here in, the, in these areas of character, in the, in the roles that you have in your family, and in, in your proclamation of the truth, which is probably the biggest, Is your faith being compromised by culture because it's easier? These are things that I think every Christ follower, especially right now in the United States, needs to question. And I said this last week, and I'll end with this. You don't need to be the most creative. You don't need to figure it out. What the world needs is people who are consistently living out and declaring the gospel. That's what the world needs. It doesn't need our cleverness, it doesn't need our opinion, it doesn't need us to constantly comment on every social media post that's out there. It needs people, it needs Christ followers who are willing to live this out unashamedly and joyfully. And if you know Jesus, that's your job. Patriot way, do your job. (laughs) Right? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I... I guess, Lord, first I just ask that you would give um, elders grace. Lord, in, in, in ourselves we have no ability to lead and steward well. So Lord, I pray for elders in churches across this world that you would ground them in these qualifications and the gospel would be the most important thing. Lord, may they be bold and courageous in speaking truth in a world that attempts to corrupt every second. Lord, I pray for the elders of this church, my own heart, the heart of Pastor Matt, Pastor Joe in Everett, Lord, I ask that you would help us to steward the responsibilities that you've given us well, and Lord, I ask that you would raise people up who would pray for us on a regular basis. Lord, I pray that you would raise up more elders, that you would make the call clear to individuals that they would be willing to lead Lastly, Lord, I pray that as a church body that we would support one another in proclaiming the gospel and truth and love with boldness, with courage, with servant's hearts. Lord, I ask that any tension that's felt would only be felt as a result of trying to apply the gospel in a truthful way instead of arguing over compromise. Lord, unite your church together in the truth and the gospel and may that be our rally cry. As individuals reveal to us very clearly through your Holy Spirit where we're failing in these areas, Lord, give us the strength to repent and give us the joy to keep going for your glory and nothing more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.